as I tell individuals in need, your donor is out there. They're just not aware of your situation yet. And that's your goal is to make them aware that you're in need because we do have good people uh, that want to help but can only do so if they hear the individual story. to Donor Diaries. It's your host, Lori. And today, my friend Harvey Mysell from the Living Kidney Donors Network is here. Harvey's kind of a kidney manifester, a kidney whisperer. He has a proven strategy that he teaches that allows kidney patients to essentially attract a kidney donor. Why is this important? Well, imagine for a second that you're sick and you need a living kidney donor. Can you think of three people you would feel totally comfortable approaching to make an ask like that? So, Becky, I I know you had plans to travel this summer, but what do you think about spending that time at home instead and, say, sharing one of your vital organs with me, since most people can thrive with just one? I mean, really, how do you ask? It's hard, and sadly, some people feel so vulnerable that they freeze and they don't seek support from anybody at all. It's a far more organic approach when there's no pressure for the sick person to make an ask like that. Two years ago, I had the pleasure of working with Harvey to start a really great program at Northwestern called the Kidney Champion Program, where we use a version of Harvey's workshop to teach kidney patients strategies to attract a living kidney donor. I learned a ton from Harvey as we rolled out the program. He's just a wealth of information when it comes to all things transplant. And he's literally helped hundreds of people find kidneys and live longer lives. It's pretty inspiring and pretty amazing. Welcome, Harvey. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Harvey, you're a two-time kidney recipient. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Wow, yeah, that's a, a long story that I'll, I'll keep short. I found out uh, that I had PKD, polycystic kidney disease, uh, when I was being wheeled in to get an appendectomy. First in my family, a uh, little unusual, but not rare. It's a genetic condition, um, and so the genes have to kind of mess up at some point in time. But most people get it from their parents or one of their parents, and it is... Uh, passing along about 50% of, uh, of children that you have. So my appendectomy went well. Uh, I started to learn about uh, polycystic kidney disease because I didn't know anything about it. And I started volunteering for the local uh, organization, the OPO, the organ procurement organization that facilitates deceased donation um, and got involved with the uh, secretary of state. They do registrations at that time. They still do for organ donation, uh, for deceased donation. And uh, so I did that for 20 years, you know, help people at that time. You signed your uh, driver's license. Now you register online, many different ways for people to register to be an organ and tissue donor. And I watched the waiting list do what it did 
which was increased uh, uh, significantly over that period of time. And I kept thinking, gee, I'm not going to need a kidney transplant, you know, living in denial as, as many people do, but continue to help and learn uh, about deceased donation. But uh, one day, uh, my nephrologist said to me, you know, you're going to need a transplant in the next six months or so. And it kind of blew me away. Uh, I did not expect to be told that, that it's going to happen so soon or to get on, need dialysis so soon. And so it was a bit of a shock. And in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to pursue a living donor, but had no idea uh, how to go about that. And during the 20 years that I first found out I had PKD, uh, I told no one about my situation. It was a secret my wife and I kept because I didn't think anyone could help me. I was embarrassed to talk about it. I kept thinking, how am I going to ask somebody to donate? And so those thoughts, haunting as they are, uh, made me tell nobody and, and say nothing. Uh, I was quite fortunate that in talking to my wife about the situation, she said, what do I need to do to be evaluated? And so we started the evaluation process and was very fortunate that my wife, Amy, was able to donate to me, that she was compatible. And we had the transplant in uh, February of 2007. We both recovered well. She was in the hospital one day. I was in the hospital two days. And shortly thereafter, I started thinking about what I can do to help people because I got evaluated at three different transplant centers and uh, visited dialysis clinics and, and realized that people knew very little about living donation, uh, as I did. But I learned a lot during those months of evaluation and started talking to uh, the dialysis clinics, the social workers there, and at the transplant centers uh, about developing a program to help people uh, understand living donation because there was nothing out there. There was very little information about living donation. And so uh, within a few months, I started the nonprofit organization, the Living Kidney Donors Network, and uh, started to reach out to these organizations, and I developed a workshop uh, for small groups of people, 20 to 30 people, and educated them uh, about living donation, the things that they needed to do. And very early on, as I mentioned, I spoke with many social workers, and I spoke to many patients. I visited dialysis clinics and spoke to recipients and living donors. And one of the questions I asked uh, the, the recipients and the living donors was, how did you ask somebody to donate? And to the donors, I'd say, how did the person you donated to ask you to donate? And both of them, you know, responded in a similar way. The recipient said, I didn't ask anyone to donate. I just kind of got my story out there. And the donor said the same thing. You know, the recipient didn't ask me to donate. I heard about their situation and I, I, I wanted to help. Well, you know, how do I get evaluated? What can I do? How do I start the process? So I learned very early on that one of the major fears that I had for not saying anything for 20 years that I needed to ask someone to donate was really not true. That's just not the way it happens. And so when I started the workshops uh, many years ago, uh, the title of the workshop was Having Your Donor Find You because that was really what happened. And uh, not to get into the details of the workshop, but the really the primary goal of those workshops was to 
you know, motivate people to pursue a living donor, uh, have them, you know, overcome this fear that it's all about telling your story. You don't need to ask anyone to donate and to really get advocates, help get the word out because it's important to share your story. Many people who donate to someone don't hear their story uh, from the individual. They hear it from someone else and then they want to take action. So that was the kind of genesis uh, of starting the nonprofit. And I, you know, over the years have done these workshops for transplant centers, dialysis clinics, uh, nonprofit organizations, any place uh, really that is in touch with people who uh, need or will need a kidney transplant. Incredible. Harvey, I know I've seen you um, do your workshop in a few different environments. Um, I've seen you do it in a church setting. I've seen you do it, I think, at a library. I have two questions. First, how many people over the years have you taught how to attract a kidney to them? Yeah, I've been in touch with, you know, thousands of people via the workshops and the webcasts that I've done. And uh, many of these workshops were at organizations where I, I, I couldn't stay in touch with these individuals. You know, they, uh, I didn't know or get their contact information. So it was very hard uh, to stay in touch with them. So I've, you know, helped hundreds of people that have thanked me personally for helping them through the process, not only through the workshops, but uh, individually in helping them, you know, through the process, because it's very hard to get through the process for many individuals. They kind of don't know where to start, things to do. Uh, so I have many conversations with, uh, with individuals. And one of the really pleasant surprises for me is how many donors I've helped through the process both directed and and what they call non-directed people who donate to anyone in need, because unfortunately for them, many of their questions aren't answered at transplant centers either. So that's been really one of the very pleasant surprises in terms of uh, helping these individuals, both uh, uh, people in need and donors uh, through the process. And I don't know if you remember, but you did that for me quite a bit before I decided to donate. I do recall uh, us being in touch and uh, you, as is the case with most people who step up and want to help, you know, because they see and understand the challenge. But then once they, you know, get into it, they realize, wait, there are a lot of questions here yeah. uh, that I have and I'm not getting them answered uh, at the transplant centers. Um, and I don't want to, you know, uh, pick on the transplant centers or be critical of, of what they do. But unfortunately, one of their strong suits is not communication. You know, they're great on the medical side. Uh, but I think even they would admit, you know, communicating to, to their patients is one of the challenges that they uh, need to work on. I would agree with that. Can you tell me about your having a donor find you video series? Sure. About a year and a half ago, uh, when COVID started, it became apparent to me that in-person uh, meetings were not going to happen for quite some time. And I had wanted to put together an online program for, for a long time, but I wasn't getting any good feedback. You know, online learning really changed uh, uh, when COVID started. So I, I sat down and, and, and wrote the, you know, the scripts uh, for these nine videos uh, called Having Your Donor Find You. 
and recorded them uh, during the uh, COVID. Uh, did it at home. I did all, all the work, lighting, writing. It was, you know, a challenge. But I was really thrilled with the way it came out. It's an online program free for patients uh, or for anyone, advocates also, uh, to watch. And it's, it's a simple program, and it's very narrowly focused on having your donor find you. There, there's many additional information that goes into the transplant process, pre-transplant, post-transplant. But the focus I had for this video series was on having your donor find you because really nothing much happens until you have a donor. Mm. And so that's what uh, the focus is right now. And it's being used by transplant centers and, uh, and other organizations, nonprofit organizations, uh, to present the, to their members. That's amazing, Harvey. One of the things that I love about your video series is that it's offered in Spanish. Can you speak a little bit as to why that's so important right now? Well, it's it, the Hispanic community has been underserved, uh, you know, for, for a very long time. And about two years before COVID, I was helping an individual uh, who was in need of a transplant. We were in touch often. Uh, his name is Lewis. And, and Lewis is very thankful for all of the help I was providing. And, and Lewis said, what can I do to help you now? And I said, Lewis, you need to spend your time, you know, getting transplanted. After you get a transplant, then we can talk about some of the things that you can do to help. And shortly thereafter, Lewis said, okay, what could we do? And so we started working on uh, translating the workshop into Spanish. And he came to a few of my workshops uh, in California. He lives in California. Uh, one that I did for a dialysis clinic. And he was convinced. He said, absolutely, I want to do this in Spanish. And so we started working on that. And when COVID hit, again, everything stopped. And uh, we hired someone to uh, translate the program, uh, the online program, into Spanish. And it is available uh, in Spanish now. And so it's a great opportunity for the uh, Hispanic community to use something that really is the way people, most people, uh, have a successful living donor experience, and that is getting the word out. One of the uh, analogies I use in the program, and it's so true, is looking for a you know a living donor is much like looking for employment. You know, no one wants to look for a job, and no one wants to look for a, a living donor. Um, and it, it, the similarity similarities start there, and they just continue. Uh, getting your story out, writing your story out, uh, writing your story, uh, having an elevator speech, networking, uh, having other people that you know when you're looking for employment, spread the word about your abilities or the field that you're in. You know, having advocates in that way. It 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 is incredibly similar to looking for employment. And I try to use that not not only because of the obvious connection, but to make people feel better that they've done something like this before. It certainly takes a lot of vulnerability to do all of those things. Harvey, um, what are some wacky ways that people have found kidneys? Can you give us a few examples? All you need to do is, is, uh, <laughs> is, is do a, a Google search and you'll get stories, crazy stories all the time. You know, let it be Facebook. I mean, stories are written every day uh, by, by print journalists. 
about these crazy stories uh, of how people met, you know, in a cab, uh, a cab driver donating, you know, uh, in a grocery store, a cashier, many baristas have donated, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, go to a, a school reunion. But the, the one I really like is an individual that I was helping. And, you know, he said, who do I tell? And I say, you tell everyone, everyone. Yeah. You meet someone, you tell your story. Okay. People say, hello, how are you? They give you the floor. You need to take advantage of that. And, and so one day he was at home and the landscapers were out, you know, cutting his grass. And he told his wife, I'm going to go out and tell the landscapers. And she kind of made fun of him uh, a little bit. And so he went out and he told the landscapers uh, about his situation. He comes back in and the wife says, how'd that go? He says, I guess, okay. They listened. Um, and he thought that was the end of that. But one of the landscapers went home that night and told his girlfriend, you got to hear this story about a guy that, you know, we did his lawn today and he's in need of a kidney transplant. She said, tell me more. And she told him a little bit more about him. And she contacted this individual, ended up being his donor. So you, you just don't know where it's going to come from. Um, mm. It's like employment. Um, you know, you've got to tell people about your situation. The more people you tell, the more likely someone is going to step up. Hmm, that's a great story. What are the benefits of a living kidney donor versus a deceased kidney donor? Yeah, there are numerous benefits. Two of the most obvious ones is that a kidney from a living donor lasts on average twice as long as one from a deceased donor. Instead of, you know, seven, eight, nine years, it could be 15, 16, 17 years. So that, that's the most obvious uh, benefit of a, of a kidney from a living donor. Uh, but there, there are many others. Uh, you can avoid dialysis. Uh, you can avoid waiting. You know, uh, waiting for a deceased donor could be three, five, close to 10 years in, in uh, uh, some states, California, New York specifically, uh, you know, you can schedule it so you just don't get a call one day. You know, you're getting transplanted in four hours and, and your life changes. So there are many, many other benefits of it. But the two most obvious uh, are, are the uh, uh, living donor uh, kidney lasts about twice as long. Avoiding dialysis is, is a huge thing to be able to do. Can we switch gears for a moment here and... Tell me a little bit about the COVID vaccine and transplant patients right now. Yeah, we are, you know, at a point in time right now where they are starting to do some studies on transplant recipients um, and, and other people that are taking immunosuppressant drugs. And um, a recent uh, study, Johns Hopkins is doing quite a few studies uh, on transplant recipients, but what they found is about three months post uh, getting uh, their second or being fully vaccinated, uh, a little less, about 46% of kidney transplant recipients are not developing antibodies to COVID. And, and that's a, a significant problem, obviously, and causing great angst uh, for me uh, and, and many others that I've been in touch with. Uh, I've been fortunate in that I have developed antibodies, but they're not able to tell me if I've developed enough antibodies to be protective of COVID. So uh, I'm in 
little better situation than people that have not shown any antibodies, but I have no assurance uh, that the level I have is protective. So um, they're first now starting studies on, on getting a third vaccine. Uh, I recently got a third vaccine, so I'm in in a study with Hopkins also uh, for people that have gotten the third, and we'll have to see what develops over the next uh, few months. But it, it's not only transplant recipients. Um, over 10 million Americans are taking these immunosuppressant drugs. Uh, most don't have a, a kidney transplant. They have some other condition where it's an autoimmune disease where your body is attacking something uh, in your in your own body. And so you're taking these anti-rejection drugs to lower your immune system so your immune system doesn't attack your body. And these individuals are apparently are at also greater risk uh, because they're taking the same drugs. So um, it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, a, a recent article just came out uh, pointing this out that uh, that that more attention needs to be given to people taking these drugs because we may not be able to end the pandemic because these individuals may still you know get the get COVID and uh, not only get it but uh, you know may develop other variants. So um, I hope in the next couple of months we're able to find ways to to help all of the individuals that are taking the, uh, these drugs. Uh, I've made some minor uh, changes in, I guess, the risks I'm willing to take, but really nothing major. Even when I go anywhere indoors, I, I'm wearing a mask all the time, even though right now most people aren't uh, wearing masks. But we, we have to you know, work our way through it and be comfortable in the environment that we're in. Absolutely. Harvey, any last advice before we go today for somebody looking for a kidney? Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it, it is pretty simple. It's 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 all about getting your story out there. Um, and social media has totally changed the landscape of of getting the word out. You know, would Stephen have been my donor twenty years ago? No, there was no likely possibility of us ever connecting. Um, but social media really has changed the landscape. And if you do a search on, uh, on the web, uh, or on Facebook, you know, uh, looking for a kidney donor, you'll see hundreds, maybe even thousands of Facebook pages of individuals who are, uh, in need of a transplant or their websites, uh, that they set up. Um, so really the suggestion is to get as, as much help as you can, uh, reach out locally to local journalists. Uh, you have a good story to tell. And journalists are looking for good stories to tell, uh, human interest stories uh, that'll capture the attention for their you know, newspaper or TV station. Um, and then it captures the attention uh, of more people. Uh, so there's, there's no you know, shortage of ways from wearing t-shirts, putting up lawn signs, uh, you know, billboards, you know, uh, going to concerts, wearing your shirt or just wearing it every day uh, in your normal activities. Um, and just, you just don't know who that good person is going to be because they're, as I tell individuals in need, your donor is out there. 
They're just not aware of your situation yet. And that's your goal is to make them aware that you're in need because we do have good people uh, that want to help, but can only do so if they hear the individual story. Well, Harvey, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our interview. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, really good luck with your podcasts. I think you're doing great work in, uh, in educating uh, the public in, in all fields regarding transplantation. And education is the key. Well, I learned from the best. Okay. Well, thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Harvey. Okay. Bye. Join us in September for episode four with my guest, Ned Brooks from the National Kidney Donation Organization. This is one of my favorite episodes so far because it highlights the impact that one person can make on a multitude of lives when they donate a kidney. It's about the power of paired kidney exchanges. Super exciting stuff. This is Lori Lee. I'm the creator of Donor Diaries with Maitree River Productions. Donor Diaries is produced by Rob and Jeff Lee. To connect with Harvey and learn more about his program, Having a Donor Find You, you can visit the Living Kidney Donors Network at lkdn.org. Are you looking for a kidney donor? Check out the Kidney Champion Program at transplantvillage.org. Are you interested in learning more about living kidney donation in general? I hope you are. Visit nkdo.org. And if you like today's podcast, please hit that subscribe button so as we drop episodes, you see them. <laughs>